morning, New Life. We're going to start off with uh, just a little invitation and a conversation. Uh, there's a, a woman in our church. Her name is Manghild, and she passed away recently. She was 99 years old. And since COVID, she hasn't been able to attend church, and so she was really missing that. But So most of you may not even know her, but uh, I've, I've known her since 1992 when I first came to church. Uh, I met her and her husband. Her husband crushed my hand, and, and Manghild stole my heart. And she was a beautiful Christian. She's one of those that I get to stand before God and give an account for how she was as a believer and as a church member. She's my favorite church member. Sorry if you think you are. She was my favorite church member. Um, she was a beautiful soul and a great friend of this church. She loved this church um, throughout the years. She's, she had multiple pastors. I pastored her longer than anybody, so I get some kind of honor for that. But uh, Manghild, uh, tomorrow we're doing a graveside uh, service at Ocean View Cemetery at 2 p.m. If you don't know her, don't, don't feel bad. If you do know her and you want to remember her, please, um, 2 o'clock Ocean View Cemetery. Um, she's, she was a beautiful soul. She's with Jesus now. She's feeling no pain. She's getting to eat anything she wants. And for years she was just eating soup because of some of her physical condition. So she's eating steak and anything she wants. She can have anything. But she was, she was a, one of those church members that when you come, you just know that the, the spirit of God just dwells in her. And she wasn't pretentious with her faith. She was very passionate about her beliefs. Um, and just, just a wonderful woman. So we're going to pray for their family real quick, if you don't mind. So let's stand in honor of Manghild. Father, I want to thank you that you bring people into our lives that not only touch us, but change us. She was a beautiful soul, and she was a great mother, and she was a great wife. She was a great Christian. And as I said, Father, and I'm going to tell you this when I get to heaven, she was the, the, the greatest joy of my ministry was just getting to know her. So I pray for her family because they've got to be missing her greatly right now. She was that much of an, had that much of an impact on her family. I know as a church, we miss those kind of people when they're gone. So I just pray that you continue to encourage your family and love on them and comfort them at this time. I know Manghild is enjoying herself with you. I know that she's been rewarded or getting rewarded for all the great things that she's done for the kingdom. And I just want to thank you for giving, it, giving her to us. Father, we love you. We thank you. And as we begin to worship you today, Lord God, we pray that our hearts are rejoicing for the goodness of God. And Jesus, we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's worship.
There's nothing to 
can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadow. You win Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Oh, almighty fortress, yes, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the have a seat. Have a seat. The ways that we uh, do our tithes and offerings at uh, New Life Church, uh, we do... I, I did it by a surprise on them. Um, we have our mailbox outside. We also have a giving box out here in the foyer, foyer. And then uh, we use the Church Center app, and our website is newlifeastoria.com. Bye, kids. <laughs> that was to you, right? <laughs> Um, so, uh, I just want to pray for our tithes and offerings real quick. Lord, you are bountiful and gracious with everything that you provide us. And sometimes we feel like we're light in the tangible areas. But Father, if that's, uh, when we're light in those areas, you're building us up in other areas and those characters of Christ. So, Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for the hard lessons. And then I also thank you for the times of peace and abundance. So, um, Lord, it, it seems to me, you know, especially around the holiday season, it, uh, it kind of goes in a roller coaster because there's a lot of unexpected uh, spending. So, um, I'm just projecting everything that I feel onto our congregation, Lord, but I just, 
I, I'm asking for your wisdom in this time. Lord, please guide our finances. Make us better managers. Help us to um, bless others, but also to uh, accept your blessing, uh, to accept your blessings well. And Lord, a blessing to you. You are, you are so worthy and deserving of so much more. But thank you for taking a piece uh, of what we can uh, make and doing so, such great things with it, Lord, for the spread of your gospel, for the spread of your word, for the, the works that we do in this church. Father, thank you for blessing the children and guiding our staff with, uh, with, with the uh, mature, uh, I don't know how to say that, with the mature knowledge and wisdom of uh, managing the finances you've entrusted with us. Lord, we love you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, uh, I just have a few announcements. This Thursday at 6 p.m. on December 1st, uh, we have our Christmas setup. So we're going to set up the, the whole church. That will be Kids Life included. And uh, we'll have food, and uh, we'll have nursery for uh, two and under. So if you'd like to come and join us and get festive, 6 p.m. this Thursday. Um, on December 4th, next Sunday, uh, after service, we're having a New Life Basics class. And we do that the first Sunday of every month. Um, and I just want to really drive that home now. Because sometimes I think people plan for it and then just forget. So I just, I really, I don't know what to do to make you remember. <laughs> remember that jig. And then after service... Next Sunday, we're going to do the New Life Basics course. And uh, it's especially for everybody that's already serving, if you plan on serving, or if you're just curious about how, we, how our church runs. So uh, after service, next Sunday. Uh, and then on Christmas happens to be on a Sunday this year. So we're doing a Christmas Eve service on 3 p.m. that Saturday. It should be the... The 24th, <laughs> so 3 p.m. Thanks. I've been, I've been studying with Pastor Angelo. And uh, so it's a family event, and we will only have nursery that day also. So two and under, uh, we'll have nursery available, but it's a big family event in here. We're doing it a lot. So, and then a quick little thing, come talk to me if you're interested in doing Rooted in January. We're going to start it for the new year. That is our, our discipleship experience here at the church. It's a 10-week uh, group that we do. With, um, there's experiences uh, in prayer. And we, we pretty much we go through a book as a daily devotion. We get together every week. We talk about it. And then there's certain prayer experiences um, uh, community service experiences, things that we do uh, to get into the rhythms of what the, our Christian life is. So um, come talk to me, and I can show you the book, show you how you can get signed up. And that's just a little preview. We'll, we'll definitely start uh, 
saying this a lot more at the beginning of December or next week. Okay. Thank you. Good job, Joey. Some days you come to church and you can tell people have been eating too much because we're a little bit slow. I'm just going to say this. Those of you that want to clap, be committed. If you're going to clap, even if you're clapping off, be committed. There we go. We got Bruce can clap. But if you're not going to be committed, don't start. All in. That's what you say about Jesus, right? Be all in. But the other thing I notice about these days is sometimes you have to help the congregation. So I'd like all of you ladies, if you would, please stand. Ladies. Now, to help you relax a little bit and get ready for the sermon, I want you to do something. I want you to belch out all the bad things that you've consumed this. I was joking. If I would ask your husbands to stand, they would have belched. They would have burped. But I don't want that from you. I'm just teasing. You can be seated. Just want you just to, just to, just to. It's going to be one of those days, I can tell. Judges chapter 6, we're still in the series the day before another day. Before we get to where we want to be as a church, there's some things that we've got to kind of go through, things we've got to understand, things we've got to know. Um, and I'm going to have to use Elsie's glasses. You can tell because they're leopard print. How do I look? I can't see any of you right now because you're distant from me. Judges chapter 6, and we're going to start with verse 1, even though they don't have it on the screen. We're going to get to verse 13, but we're going to start with verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. So the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then go to verse 13. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Have you ever asked that question? If you're with me, why is this happening to me? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? You know, all the stories they talk about God doing great things and God doing miraculous things and God doing powerful things. Have you ever wondered why that's not happening in your life or what's happening in your life is kind of the opposite of that? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. You ever wonder where God is? God, I feel alone today. You're just killing me here. If you've ever been through something difficult as a Christian, you know there are moments where you ask yourself, why, if God is God, why am I going through this? And you've, you've had those moments where You've asked the question, has God left me? Has he forsaken me? Does he not care about what I'm going through? This is something we've got to deal with before we get to another day. Because to really follow Jesus Christ, some of you are going to have to surrender your lives in ways that you're going to, you're going to put yourself in positions that are going to be challenging. And you're going to wonder, where is God? Why did he move me out here? Why did he take me to this place? Why did he challenge me to this? Where is he? I, I know he does great things for Deborah. Why isn't he doing great things for me? You ever have that friend that just seems like God just blesses all the time? That family member? Maybe it's you. 
but you're the one that God never blesses? And you begin to question, where is God? Where is God? And why is this happening to me? Let's pray. Father, it is my heart's desire that they know you. But to know you, they're going to have to really experience you. And to experience you, it might not be pleasant experiences to find out who you really are and what you really do. In Gideon's life, Father, there was a battle that was coming and he was going to be a major part of it. And I believe that 2023 might be, for some of them in this room, might be a year of battle. And they're going to get into positions where they're going to need to know who, who are you and why aren't, why aren't you helping? Where are you? And why is this happening to me? They're going to need to know the answers to this question. So I'm not sure that I have done an adequate job of helping them with that. So your spirit's going to have to intersect in the areas where I am not presenting well. You're going to have to speak to them in ways that, that silences even my voice so that they might hear clearly from you. Encourage our hearts. We need the Spirit of God today. And Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, y'all may be seated. That was a joke. You guys are really tough today. Gideon, like many of us, struggle with these things. If God was real, this wouldn't be happening to me. If God was real, he would never leave me nor forsake me. Because we know that scripture, but you feel alone at times. The answer to why this happened, why, why he's asking these questions, was already given that the suffering they were experiencing, experiencing was because of their sin. And we read that in verse 1. But if you go on to verse 9, I'm sorry, verse uh, 8. God not only sends an angel to tell you why it's happening. God sends a preacher to tell you why it's happening. The Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you. And drove them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. And you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. The reason the children of Israel, the reason that Gideon was in this position was because of sin. Paul spoke of this in the book of Romans where he said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their righteousness, unrighteousness suppress the truth, hide the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. God says, the, the scripture's telling us that we can know there's a God. So you're without excuse. For his invisible attributes, name, namely his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. I'm going to read that one more time because I think this is an important passage of scripture because some of us know God, but we don't honor God as God. 
nor do we give thanks to him. If that was somebody's cell phone, that is a brick. <laughs> oh, that was the Bible. Man. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, which is exactly what got the children of Israel into this problem. They started worshiping idols and they started worshiping false gods instead of worshiping the one true God. And so this wrath of God is a result of God being against that which is a, any contradiction to his design. You could call his design holiness, but it really is his design. He designed us to live a certain life and has kind of given us his word to kind of direct us in how he wants us to live it. And there's an expectation that God has that we as believers in Jesus Christ would actually obey his word because we love him, because we want to be pleasing to him, and because we believe that his design for life is the best design for life. And yet some of us are worshiping false gods of the nation of America and we could break that down if we want. But we're worshiping more the, the country than we are the Christ. Though we know God, we don't honor him. And we don't give thanks to him. I wonder how much of Thanksgiving, and I'm not being mean or negative at all. I'm just saying, I wonder how much of Thanksgiving was really thankful towards God. And for some of you, you've, you've had a really bad year. And so you just were so thankful for what God has done for you. But some of us aren't, weren't as thankful. We're more thankful for our families. And we should be. Please, I'm not minimizing that. We're more thankful for our job. And you should be thankful for a job. We're more thankful for our checking account. And we should be thankful for money in the bank. But God's bigger than all of that. And he should be getting the most glory, especially on a day of thanks. Romans 5, 8. We should thank him for this. Romans 5, 8 and verse 9 says, But God shows his love towards us while we were yet... I'm sorry, I'm blending my King James and my ESV. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, we shall, uh, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For the unbeliever, the wrath of God results in separation from God. For the believer, the wrath of God results in chastening of God. But that's a sermon for another day. And we're going to talk about the chastening of God. Because some of you in the next year are going to fall into some sin. And God's going to be chastening you. And you're going to want to know why your father is disciplining you in the way that he's disciplining you. But that's a sermon for another day. I've got lots of sermons. In this passage, we want to concentrate on Gideon's conversation with God. And I'm probably going to take it into a place that I'm not sure I have permission to, but I'm going to do it anyway. His conversation was, why has this happened to us and where are you? From the standpoint of Gideon, the question wasn't more just why is this happening to us, but it didn't make sense to him that it was happening to him because he was not committing the sin. The children were not leading the false worship, but they suffered and starved with the parents. 
because of the Parents Act, because of the Adults Act, because of the elders of the community were allowing it, so they were suffering because of their choices. And I think to a degree, he's going to ask himself, why am I innocent? Am I suffering because of the guilty? I did not choose false worship. I did not choose this false God. I did not choose this way. But I'm still suffering with everyone. Before we move on as a church, because, of, because some of you will suffer for the name of Christ, I want to answer this question today. Some of you are going to step out in faith this year in ways you never imagined, in ways you never thought you would, and you're going to experience not the positive aspects of Christianity. You're going to experience some really tough times, and you're going to ask yourself, where is God, and why is this happening to me? Look at what I've done. I remember when my wife and I got into a car accident in 2003, and she couldn't walk. And I, and I said this to God. I said, why is this happening to me? I've surrendered my life to you. I've surrendered my job. I'm, 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 I'm pastoring a church. I'm living in a dive. I'm doing everything I can for the kingdom of God, and I've done everything right, and I've done all the right things. Where are you And that this would happen in my life? Have you ever said that to God? You know that you haven't done anything wrong, and yet you're experiencing wrong. I was just driving down the road when, the, when a Geo Metro, you wouldn't think a little Geo Metro would do so much damage. Just driving down the road, minding my own business. We were just talking. We just ate at Burgerville. It was a great experience. She didn't eat at Burgerville. I ate at Burgerville. Maybe that was the problem. It would have taken me a little bit longer. But we're just driving down the road, and, and I was passing a truck. There was a two-lane, uh, a four-lane road, and I was on this inside lane. And I just pulled ahead of this truck just a little bit when the Geo Metro pulled in front of him and hit me sideways and damaged my wife. And I was doing all the right things. I was doing all the things that you would expect a Christian to do. And I remember questioning God on that. Why do the innocent suffer with the guilty? Why, where are you? Why is this happening to me? Why aren't, if, if you're really God, you'd think you would protect me from these things. And I think the suffering of innocence and innocence is one of the most difficult moral dilemmas for a people of faith because we don't really have the answer to that question. I mean, if God's a good God, how can he allow the innocent to suffer? If he is who we believe he is, then he should be able to build a world on justice where somebody pays for their own sin with their own life, not other people's lives. A world where the consequences of the wicked decisions or hateful actions caused by others do not cause suffering to those who are innocent. But we know the world's not that way. Driving down the road, doing the speed limit after church, talking to your kids about Jesus, singing songs, laughing, is not going to stop that drunk driver from crossing the center line, hitting your car, and possibly injuring your family or killing them. And you're just going to church and worshiping God and passionately serving Him and loving your family. You've been a good mother. You've been a good father. You've been good children. Why does that happen? There's children who are born into homes where fathers don't want to be responsible for the family. The child did not choose that, but that's what they got. 
or they don't have a mother who loves them unconditionally. Like if you've been raised in a home where you had a mother that was, had conditional love, that does not make sense to me that that, that would happen. But some of you were raised that way. Think about the innocent families in Ukraine who didn't hate Russians. They in their own lives did not hate Russians. And there's Russian families who did not hate Ukrainians. But because of the sin of one man, thousands are dying who are innocent. I thought about somebody being born and you didn't choose the color of your skin. It was just the skin that came with the body. You had no control over that. And you didn't choose the country of your birth, yet you're treated with disrespect because of no choice of your own. Like, you're innocent in it. Like, I was born into an Italian family, so that's why I use my hands a lot. <laughs> well, that's not the same. I mean, I can, I can just say that I didn't choose that. Italian family. But we know that those things happen. The sad reality of life is that the blameless suffer at the hands of the guilty and the good often bear the consequences of the wicked. Gideon was a son whose father worshipped false gods though Gideon's father knew that the promises of God were if they worshipped God and God alone God would bless the nation. But the sin of Israel's elders and it put Gideon and all the other children of Israel in between a, a just God and a false God. And the question comes down to, is, the, is it possible for the creator of the world who breathed life into our souls to allow the innocent to suffer with the guilty? And the answer is really simple and sad. Yes. So if you're asking questions, why did the innocent suffer? Why would God allow it? It's just because he does. I'm going to give you some reasons why, but... Right now, you've got to wrestle with the fact that the innocent suffer along with the guilty on this planet. Which is why Gideon asked the question, why then has all this happened to us? And were all his wonderful deeds that his father recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? See, the best I could come up with is that there are two forces at work on the earth. And it's happening all the time. There is a force of good, which represents God, and there's a force of evil, which represents Satan. Good began in the Garden of Eden, where it was a place of plentiful, plentiful provision from God. So good comes from a God who blesses his children. It was a place of powerful, the powerful presence of God. The creator of the earth wants a relationship with you. That's why he sacrificed his son Jesus on the cross, so that you might have a relationship with him. And it was a place of perfect expectations of God. God said, you can eat anything you want. In my age, in my condition, that would be a blessing from God. You can eat anything you want. You will not gain a pound. We had pie for breakfast on Thursday morning, or no, I'm sorry, on Wednesday morning because we had to check the, we had to pre-check the pie <laughs> because we didn't want to be discouraged on Christmas morning when you wake up and you, or Christmas morning, Thanksgiving morning, when you eat the pie and it's like, oh, it's terrible. Now the pie we ate on Wednesday was terrible. The pie we ate on Thanksgiving was awesome. So we were more thankful on Thursday than we were on Wednesday. But I still ate lots of pie. And I didn't gain a pound. 
Okay, so I gained a few. But God says, I'm going to give you this life where it could be perfect. And all you got to do is just obey me. Just don't eat of that one tree. Where good's involved, all we got to do is follow God's design for life and good will happen. So we think. Because evil dwells in the garden too. Evil is a presence that exudes pride. It cares about itself. It's selfish. It's self-centered. It's focused on me and me and I. Evil is the presence of powerful eyes saying that you're not worthy of love. You're not worthy of life. You deserve what you get. Evil is the presence of painful ties. It's this connection between God's creation, Adam and Eve, and Satan's actions. There's this weird connection. Have you ever just felt more connected to Satan than you have been to God sometimes? Okay, I'm the only one. <laughs> this is what you want in a pastor. Sometimes we're closer to the evil than we are to the good. I'll say it that way. And evil is anything that has to do with Satan. And these two forces are at war. So why does the innocent suffer with the guilty? Amen. And here's the best answer I can come up with. Because our life is, our, our identity is not formed in isolation, but in relationship with others. We were not created to do life by ourselves. We were created to do life with others. Even in the garden, when God created Adam and Eve, he looked at Adam and said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a help perfect for him. He needed woman. But she brought evil into the world and it just messed everything up. <laughs> I know, Adam wasn't watching. I get it. We'll talk about that later. That's a sermon for another day. Don't hold on to that one. As long as I remember, I can, be, I, I can remember being interacting with other people. I remember my first memory, the oldest memory that I have is being in the nursery and telling my nursery worker a story, which I was literally lying to her about fishing. But I think I was four years old, three or four years old. But I remember having this interaction with this other human being. As babies, you learn to recognize your fathers and your mothers and your sisters and your brothers. And while we are individuals, we didn't just become us by ourselves. We became us by being around other people. We were molded and guided by families, by friends, by teachers, by pastors, and even by the community in which we were raised. I can tell you when I run into somebody from Napa, they've been raised in Napa. <laughs> That's not a negative. I'm not being negative. You can just tell. There's something about them. It might be the, the hair and the... the I, you just tell. <laughs> You can tell someone's been raised in Lewis and Clark. They hold themselves a little bit better. You can tell when someone's been raised in an abusive home, they, they're kind of insecure and they struggle. You can tell when someone's been raised in a secure home where they have confidence. And it almost seems like it's arrogance. You can tell what kind of home I was raised in.
We, were, we did not become ourselves by ourselves. We became ourselves by being around other people. Whether we want to admit it or not, we are inextricably connected to each other along with our good and along with our evil. But we were created to help one another, not to hurt one another. To build each other up, not to break each other down. To do good and not to do evil. We were made to help each other. But because we were given a choice to do so, we don't always choose good. That was Adam and Eve in the, in the, in the Bible. They had the option and the opportunity to do good, but they chose to do evil. And brought sin upon all of us. And they got to choose the good way or the evil way. And people in your life got to choose the good way or the evil way. You in your life got to choose the good way. You got to choose the evil way. You got the choice. So not only are we not raised by ourselves. We're raised with other people. We're raised not as individuals. But corporately by, by family and by friends and by communities. We also have the choice whether to do good with that and to help people or not. One of the consequences of free choice is of the human ability to determine our own actions is that people can impose their choices on us, good and evil. So the people around me and their choices impact me and my choices. That's not that deep. But I can't do life by myself. I know you want to live on an island out there, but you would drive yourself crazy because it would just be you and you would have to talk. You'd, you'd, you'd get a volleyball and paint a face on it and... <laughs> Right? You'd be talking to it all the time. You might do things like that now. I don't know, but. But you have to, we, we were made to live around people to be a help to them, not to be a hindrance to them. See, if my neighbor decides to punch me in the nose, then because of his choice, I'm going to get punched. No matter how nice I am, no matter how innocent I am, no matter what it is, if my neighbor decides to punch me in the nose, I will get punched. This is simple. The choices I make, good and evil, will have a direct implication on the people around me. Because I'm doing life with people around me. So if, if my wife decides to cook something that I don't want, I'm, I'm stuck with eating what she's made because she's my wife. And I have to bear the evil side of her because she didn't make what I wanted. See, if I choose to do good, the people around me will experience good. And if I choose to do evil, the people around me will experience evil. Is that deep? Is that true? If I choose to get drunk and drive, my choice is that I can greatly impact another who didn't choose that. If I choose not to parent my child, my cho choice can greatly impact the child who never made that choice. If I choose to break my marriage vows, my choice will greatly impact my family who didn't make the choice to break their marriage vows. It has been said that our freedom to choose often cripples the freedom of other people. So we have the freedom to choose how we want to relate to people, whether we want to be good or whether we want to be evil. But it does cripple their choices because they didn't make the choice that we made, but they have to live with the choices that we made. Are you with me? See, once we believe we have permission to do what we want it causes, and it causes injury, it's not, it doesn't discriminate between innocent or guilt. 
It doesn't care whether you're innocent or guilty. If I choose to do what I want to do and it's evil and it impacts you, then you're going to be impacted by it. Though the sin of worshiping false gods was not Gideon's choice, he had the choice to reject that false belief system, though. You may have been raised in a, in a, in a horrible home, I, I don't know, but you have the choice to not raise your children in that same kind of an atmosphere. Though you didn't choose that upbringing, though you didn't choose that life, though you didn't choose that way, you can choose to not be that way. I can tell you story after story after story about my wife. I, I was raised on Walton's Mountain. I had no, I had no excuse for my sin because I was raised by loving parents and compassionate parents and Christian parents. But my wife was not raised in that kind of a home. But when she grew up, she said, I'm not going to be this way. I'm not going to live this life. I'm going to make a choice so that her negativity growing up as a child does not impact my life. I get the positive side because she chooses good. Gideon's situation was chosen by those who he's who he was doing life with. But he could choose what he did with that. So, why does the innocent suffer the guilty? Because we were created to do life with other people. And we have to live with their choices as well as our own. Is that that simple? So if you step out and serve God and you're innocent and you sacrifice your life for the kingdom of God and you, you, you willingly help people, they might reject your help. They might get angry at your help. They might not accept your help. Because they have a choice to choose to do something good with your good or they have the choice to do something evil with your good. So I only have two solutions for this problem. And they're really deep. The solution to this problem is number one, do your best to choose good people to do life with. That was deep. Choose good people. If you know they're not good for you, don't do life with them if you can help it. Now if it's one of your parents you don't have a choice you got to figure out how to work that around that but or if it's one of your kids and you don't even like your kid <laughs> surround yourself with more good people than bad people surround yourself with good godly people who will love you no matter what love you unconditionally even though others might put conditions on their love that's which is evil Though the sin of worshiping false gods was not Gideon's choice, he had the choice to reject that false belief system, and he did that. If you were to read on, and we're going we're gonna to get into that I, probably in January. If you were to read on, you would see that God calls Gideon to destroy the false gods of his father, and Gideon did so. Even though he faced an angry community, he chose not to do evil. Your spiritual health requires you to distance yourself from sin and from those who cause others to suffer because of their sin. 
You cannot be healthy spiritually if you're around people who are constantly spewing out evil. And this is a perfect timing coming from Thanksgiving where your families got together and hopefully you had great time with your family, but some of you may have just got into more fights. See, by associating with those who choose to do right, you create an atmosphere that would be shaped towards the good. How many of you could use more good right now in your life? This is especially true of those of you who have been innocent and have suffered at the hands of the guilty. You need to be around good people. Godly people. People who choose to follow God. People who choose to trust God. People who choose to obey God. People who choose to do the right thing every time. Your helping and your healing cannot come from those who hurt you, but only those who will help you. For some reason, we keep going back to the people who hurt us, like thinking they're going to help us this time. Instead of going to people that you know will do good. It's not always easy. And what sounds like a contradiction, but is really clarity for me, number two is to fight for the innocent. This is what Gideon was getting into in the moment. Is if you read this passage and stay in it for a little bit, God was calling Gideon to fight for the people of Israel who were in sin as well as those who were innocent. So Gideon was getting ready to lead an army against an enemy and he was going to get victory because God was involved in it. And he wasn't just going to let the innocent suffer and he wasn't just going to let even the, even the guilty suffer. He was going to do everything he could to make a difference in their lives. It has been quoted and misquoted, so if you look it up online, you're going to hear lots of things, but I just believe it fits the moment. All it takes for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. You want evil to get victory in your life? Just keep staying around those people that are evil. Don't get around good people. Don't have good friends. Don't have a godly marriage. See, we were created to help each other, not hurt each other. Yeah. We've got to fight for the innocent. You want to feel better about your sucky life? Help someone whose life sucked. Do good. Do good to those that didn't have the good chosen for them. Psalm chapter 82 verse 3 says, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. There is no child that chooses to be fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Even if you haven't experienced good in your life, you can do good so that people can experience your good, and then you'll experience good. Proverbs 31.8 in the NLT. Did we put it in the NLT? Oh. I'm going to have to highlight those. 
Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those who are being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. Speak up. You can dwell on the fact that your life is unfair and you can dwell on the fact that where is God and why is this happening or you can do something to help somebody else who's in the same position. Now, I get asked this question all the time. So then what are we as a church doing to help those who are suffering? I don't know. You're the church. What are you doing? No, no, no. No, pastor, you have to organize us to do good. No, you have to choose to do good. And do good to those who are around you. In Acts chapter 3, and I didn't give you this verse, so. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth, now I can read it, there we go, was being carried, whom they laid at the gate daily at the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of them entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, about to go into worship, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at them, and Peter was a good Christian. And did John. And Peter said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. What was the good that he did? He offered him something that was from God. He was going to church, and they weren't so busy going to church that they were occupied by their church attendance to not stop for a moment and make a difference in somebody's life. The Bible says he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with him walking and leaping and praising God. That's one of my favorite passages of scripture, walking and leaping and praising God. Why was he walking and leaping and praising God? Because he received good where in life all he received was evil, wrong. Why was he suffering? Well, you know, I don't know his story. I just know that Peter did good. And John did good. Yes. What good are you doing, Christian? You who know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you who have the peace of God that passes all understanding, you that have your sins forgiven, you that have the joy of the Lord. What good are you doing? How are you helping people around you? You can't tell me you don't see them. Because you're not living by yourself. You drive by them all the time. And the question always becomes, what is the church doing? And I'm going to ask you again, what are you doing? Tell me. There's a family in our church we have been blessed with that has fostered, I can't remember the number of kids that they had fostered, but the church didn't organize that from my understanding. It was a choice that they made because they saw a need and they did everything they could to meet that need, even sacrificing their own lives and their own wealth and their own future for these relationships because they didn't need the church to organize 
fostering. They just needed to make a difference in the lives. Of, they just need, needed to choose to do good and not evil. What are you doing? Welcome to New Life. I'm glad that you're here today. Well, you're, you're getting off track, Pastor. The, the question is, why does the innocent suffer with the guilty? Because no one will help the, the innocent. Because no one will help them. I don't know how deep to get into this. Because we could talk about abortion. And the thing that I can't stand about abortion is how we're more concerned about stopping abortion than helping the women who are in that position who are getting abortions. Because if you really want to stop abortion, then open up your home to the children who aren't, aren't let's just say, wanted by the parent for whatever reason. But I don't see a lot of homes opening up. Is it evil to kill children? Yes, we know that. But is it not just as evil to have a home that you could provide love and good to that child and you not open the door up to them? Are there not children that are experiencing evil because there are adults who could make a difference in their lives? Who aren't. This is not politics. If you've been around here very long, you know I don't do politics. I don't got time for politics because politicians of America are not going to save this country. It's going to be God-fearing people who actually do something about what's going on in this nation. And stop complaining about it and stop picketing it and stop fighting it and fight for the innocent. One last verse, Psalm 32, 37, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. And verse 27 says something really good because I can't find it. Oh, wow, it's way down here. Turn away from evil and do good. Turn away from evil and do good. Do good. There's enough evil in our world. We need to do good. Well, again, Pastor, that doesn't solve the problem. Why do the innocent suffer? Because we live with people that make choices that are evil. It's not much more deep than that. But what you do about it is what makes the difference. Who is raised by unloving parents that could be loved by you? Who suffers at the hand of a drunk driver and doesn't find compassion coming from his, their church, their community, their friends? We were created, I'm going to say this over and over again, we were created to help each other, not hurt each other. God's called us to help each other, not hurt each other. The scripture is filled with passages of, of, of writings where God says, take care, do good, do good, do good, do good, do good. It's interesting to me that I 
questioned God when my wife went through that accident. Because the reality of the situation was I was thinking about me, not about her, not about others. I was thinking about how unfair it was and how wrong it is. And what it caused me to do is realize that there are people that are suffering and need love, need encouragement, need strength, need help in times of need. And I could complain about what's going on with me and how unfair it was, or I could do something about it. What are you doing about it? God's going to call you to something, guys. I'm going to tell you something. He's going to call you to something that's going to challenge you greatly. And you're going to go through difficult times and you're going to be rejected of men because Jesus said that was going to happen. Are you going to sit around and complain about how unfair it is? I'm innocent and it's not fair for me to suffer at the hands of the guilty. Or am I going to do something to make a difference in the lives of those who didn't deserve what they got but can receive something from you that is a help to them? I don't know how to end this moment other than let's stand and head head bowed and eyes closed. Father, as I think about the question, where are you when the innocent suffer? You're either inside of us or you're inside of Christians who have the ability to reach out and make a difference in the lives of those who are unfairly suffering. We can choose to do good with our lives or we can choose to complain about all the evil that's in the world. I believe this world father is looking for Christians who may not have money to offer people, but we have faith and hope and we believe that you can heal brokenness. Silver and gold have we none, but such as we have we give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. Those should be our words. Jesus can make a difference in those lives. And they see Jesus in us. Father, it is not fair, but it is fact that the innocent suffer with the guilty. Let us be the kind of people that minister to the innocent who have been, who suffer. You said that pure religion and undefiled before God and the fathers to visit the widows in their affliction, the fatherless in their affliction and the widows, something like that. It's, It's in the Bible. Help us to do something about it to not dwell on the negative, not dwell on the evil, but do something about to help those who are hurting. Encourage our hearts, Father, as we leave this place today, we're gonna leave without an altar call just because we don't have music. But I pray the altar call is happening right now in their hearts. Help us to help people even if we've been hurt in our our innocence. Help us to teach them that you are the healer 
of the hurt of all the hate that is in this world. But do it from our hands actually reaching out and offering help to those who hurt. Do your work, Jesus. It's got to be done by you. Holy Spirit, we need to hear from you. Convict us of that need as we walk past it. Not from a negative standpoint, from an encouraging standpoint, that we could do good, we could make a difference in the lives of those who are treated unfairly, even if we've been treated unfairly. We love you. Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, guys, have a great day. Find someone to help make a difference. God bless.